This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way, except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Adam, I'm very excited about this episode of the podcast. Uh, you know, this is an audio-only medium. We're not quite to the point on Patreon where we can build a bespoke set on which we chat uh, with some maybe some novelty couches that look like big pumpkins. Yeah. Which, by the way, trademark. That's on the vision board, though. <laughs> it's definitely on the it's on the Pinterest vision board. Uh, but I think that the topic you selected today is extra good for an audio-only medium. <laughs> I'm going to try to have the audience guess what it is by me talking about it. Uh, big blood. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, those are bones. Oh, those don't lots belong of out there. Ah, <laughs> uh, the, the awful is is outside. It's outful. Ah, uh, this is the worst. <laughs> audience, what do you think the topic is? Did you get it? It's Did body horror. It? It's body horror. It's body horror. <laughs> Welcome to the Great American Scream. Uh, my name's Devin. Uh, my name's Adam, and we're going to talk about body horror today. I'm really excited uh, to talk about it because um, I think somebody brought this up in our first live stream that body horror is a genre that a lot of queer people love. Not only because yeah. just we like like the you know we like the freaky stuff, but also because <laughs> um, somebody brought up that like. A lot of trans people love body horror, and uh, I think that's a really interesting thing to point out because body horror is one of the very few, probably the only film genre where we see like bodies transforming, like besides yeah. maybe like superhero movies or whatever. Right. Um, this is we, we kind of see bodies like in transgression in body horror yeah, movies. Yeah, and in and at least from the from the cis, but lgb part of the spectrum it's bodies as as object and focus yeah. uh often in a very visceral uh and simultaneously sensual way that like kind of ticks that same box of like feeling transgressive yeah exactly um and as a kid i was always fascinated by transformation scenes in movies uh whether it was like monster transformations or werewolves or whatever like surprise uh that <laughs> <laughs> Little would I find out years later. But um, so I want to talk about it today. I would like to kind of define the subgenre and why it is so scary and then talk about the history uh, and then where it's come today. Um, and I love doing these deep dive history episodes because they make me feel smart, even though I certainly yeah. did not go to film school. Um, <laughs> and somebody who went to film school could probably talk better about it. But I'm going to do yeah, it but, anyway. You know. But then we would have to have somebody who went to film school on the podcast, and I don't know if that's something I want to sign up for. Um, so let's start off by kind of defining body horror as a genre. And there are some varied definitions of what body horror is. Adam, what is, is yeah. body horror? Well, there's a couple of answers. That's not an easy question to answer. Um, but in kind of general, it's defined as any horror media involving body parts, parasites, mutations, or any other kind of unsettling body transformation. So not just it existing, but it transforming from one thing to something else. And this is mm. different from like torture porn or splatter films, 
uh, while splatter is usually like an offset of slashers and the bodily harm is caused by violence. That's kind of the big difference. Uh, body horror is usually, usually through some kind of paranormal, supernatural or extraterrestrial means, which is kind of what mm. separates it from movies like Hostel or Saw, where the horror is what's happening to the body through human violence. Body horror right. movies, it's often quite literally coming something coming from the inside. Right, which makes sense why it would, you know, it would it would hit different uh, <laughs> to people with stuff like body dysmorphia because like there's there's a there's a real discomfort watching like torture films that comes from one person doing something to another person, mm-hmm. but when it's separated from that, it can be the the it, again body as object like body as object undergoing something yeah. rather than person doing doing hurtful thing to somebody else. <laughs> person hurt other person that's my that's my (laughs) hi this is my doctoral thesis on horror theory all movies that aren't body horror are just person hurt person (laughs) it's it's man versus man (laughs) um so according to film scholar linda williams body horror falls into one of three gross genres or what she calls genres of excess um being body horror pornography and melodrama Um, Or I guess horror in general, but specifically body horror. Um, And she says that these three are grouped together because they're measured by uh, how closely audience feelings mimic what's happening on screen. Uh, They may feel some kind of intense sadness or joy during melodrama. They may feel arousal during pornography. uh, And of course, terror uh, during body horror. And that's what kind of makes these genres of excess, which I love that. Oh, yeah, that's it's really good. Um, And there's also the argument that horror as a whole falls into the genre of excess uh, category. But I think that modern horror films often being more than one thing. So like horror that is also tragedy, horror that is also comedy. That's not as true anymore. Where body horror kind of serves almost primarily to disgust and terrify. Yeah, it it almost seems as though when horror is acting, when traditional horror is acting as camp, it it is it could be considered excess, but when it is attempting to do or succeeding at doing something else, it, it kind of falls out. Whereas body horror, like you said, kind of always falls into it. Yeah. And body horror is often Not in a bad cu- way. Yeah. Uh, body horror is often coupled with other subgenres. Rarely is a film just body horror. Uh, although they do exist, just solely body horror films. Um, especially they kind of get coupled together with splatter movies, monster movies, alien movies. It's kind of where we see body horror elements the most. Um, and above all, body horror activates what's known as squick. Um, and mm. squick is like, I know, squick is the yuck factor. It's like repugnance. Yeah. It's the the physical and guttural reaction you have to seeing something gross. That is squick. Is that a technical term? It is. It has its own Wikipedia where is, where page. Where does it come from? Oh, my God. Where does it, what's the... I, you don't have it in the outline. I, I don't, don't, I don't have think, the, the root of you, Squick. I'm going to look it up right can, now, though. Can we have um, a sub-podcast of, of weird word etymology? Uh, possibly a contraction between squeamish and ick. Ah, that or makes sense. Or squirm and ick. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense of like, I don't, okay, let's break it down. I don't like the term. Squick. I find it, I find it gross, but mm-hmm. I understand that that's the point. Yeah. So like, I respect it. Okay. I respect Squick. Put some respect on Squick's <laughs> Put name. Put some respect on her name. Um, and and body horror hinges on primal fear, like a very human 
fear that we all have. And we talked back in the splatter episode about <laughs> envelope violations, which is still one of my favorite terms, uh, or the fear of violent violation of the human body or its autonomy in some way. That's an envelope violation, uh, which is something, a fear that all humans share. And interestingly, sure. body horror Especially often- postal workers. Yeah. <laughs> interestingly, body horror often pairs primal fear, or the fear of these envelope violations, with the fear of the uncanny valley. Um, yeah. we talked about a lot on the show, uh, which hinges on the fear of like deformity, the fear of being replaced, the fear of something that looks human and is not. And body horror is kind of a really cool marriage of yeah. what we're afraid of in slashers and also what we're afraid of in the uncanny valley. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, uh, obviously the uncanny valley existed, definitely existed in the past, but mm. it, the, the fear of it, it feels like it comes from more modern ideas of what it is to be a human. It almost feels like more advanced of a fear. And so pairing that with something so primal as as postal violation, uh, as postal crime, is that's so fascinating. It's such a it's something that hor- only horror could do. Yeah. Like doing that kind of dichotomous uh it- like Man, the, I ha- I started that word so good with dichotomous. dichotomous that that, that phrase was going to be so good, and I didn't have a second word for it. <laughs> you can say oh, dichotomy. No, I I wanted a noun okay. after dichotomous. Uh-huh. I wanted dichotomous representation. Dichotomous. I just don't have a word for it. Okay, okay. <laughs> it'll it'll um, be like this. It'll be dichotomous representation. Yeah. <laughs> keep going. Um, in general, if you had to sum up in like one sentence why body horror is scary, organs belong on the inside of your body. Parasites do not. This is very important. This is, <laughs> listen, if any kids are listening, this is what I want you to take away from this episode. Organs stay on the inside, not the piano kind, but the big squishy ones. Those yeah. stay inside the body. If they're ever outside, something is wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, if it's like a, if you got one kidney outside, <laughs> It's not That's do or die generally yet. okay. <laughs> it's it's not do or die yet, but I'm telling you, if more get out, <laughs> you gotta call someone. Um, and there are a lot of common tropes that we see in a lot of body horror, uh, including the chest burster, which was obviously started with Alien, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on. Uh, a lot of kind of zombies kind of fall into body horror, depending on what kind of zombie they are. Um, eldritch abominations, usually as like an amalgamation of other things or like of limbs and flesh. And then if they tip over into something unfathomable, they become cosmic horror. And then also any kind of shape-shifting, kind of a la the thing. Um, yeah. Which uh, we don't talk about too much in this outline, so I do want to mention that the thing is an excellent uh, oh. example of body horror. Um, it's kind of is like the... I don't know if it's the definitive, but it mm-hmm. is. It's probably one of the most demonstrative. Like it, yeah. it demonstrates the most tropes of the genre in it yeah. again in a good way. Yeah, we I don't know like, how need it to didn't... have a set of disclaimers in the podcast that like when we talk about when we say certain phrases that for most film people would be bad things for us are actually good. Yeah, <laughs> tropes are often very good in horror, or when they're executed well. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. a thing didn't make it into my little like roundup at the end, but uh, oh, definitely yeah. a crazy example, <laughs> amazing example of body horror. Um, so uh, the term body horror was first used by Philip Brophy in his 1983 article, Horality, the Textuality of the Contemporary Horror Film. Um, you got to find a different name for that article. Horality. <laughs> Hor- horality is not the one, I don't oh, think. Oh, I like that. You don't think it has certain... Uh, 
like at, at, it's going to be talking about the textuality of contemporary representation of sex workers. Oh, in film, okay, I which see. Is, I see. You know, totally fine, and I would read that paper, but a little like, misleading. <laughs> a little misleading, right? Yeah. Um, however, the origins of body horror obviously existed long before that, uh, partially originating from Frankenstein, um, as much horror as all, the, all modern horror. Is. I think the birth of Athena really is where that body too. horror started. That too. They split open that guy's. He had such a bad headache. They split open his head with an axe. But that's not intended to be. Out. It's not intended to be horrifying, is it? Like, is that what the ancient Greeks were supposed to take? Horrifying. But is that what the ancient Greeks were supposed to take away from that story? That Athena was terrifying, probably. Okay, that's fair. That's um, a healthy <laughs> fear to have. So the early days of body horror in film came from the uh, sci-fi 1950s period of horror films, uh, partially with yep. The Blob in 1958. The um, sequel to Flubber. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen the original Blob or the remake, A, don't watch the remake. Watch the original. Uh, yeah, God, like, no. Same the, with the thing. The original's already not good, and the remake's just worse. <laughs> Yeah, you're um, just taking another step down. Um, so the blob tells of an alien that a being that arrives in town in Pennsylvania, this like kind of gelatinous pinkish purple goo, and immediately just begins eating everything uh, and yeah. growing larger and larger. And it was massively popular at the time. Um, we stand an icon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And it's not really a body horror movie, but some of the foundational tropes of body horror are there. Um, and the scenes of body parts being consumed by the blob and the idea right. of this mass eating away at you until your entire body is fully assimilated is pretty scary. Yeah, and that's where Katamari Damacy comes from. <laughs> I believe you. I don't know what that means, Thank but you. I believe Thank you. you. It's the video game where you're a little guy who pushes the ball and you pick stuff up and the ball gets oh, bigger and bigger. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the same thing, virtually. Yeah, it's the same thing. And the scene where the old farmer finds it and then it eats his arm and then his entire body is pretty scary, like even now and probably was terrifying at the time. Um, and uh, I started to watch, I was doing research for this and I watched like one of the old blob trailers and I have to say, I miss when movie trailers just narrate the whole setup for you. Oh yeah. I think we should bring that back because this blob trailer was like, first an old farmer finds it on the... <laughs> On the planes. And then, like, it explains, it introduces all of our main characters and who they're played by and the exact uh, setup. It's Imagine that for, like, uh, imagine that for, like, Endgame. Yeah. Here we see Thanos. <laughs> He's gotten all five Infinity Gems. Yeah. Actually, in the last one, he died. That was wild, huh? Everybody turned to dust. <laughs> like... Um, and also, while I was researching, starring this one, Josh I got, Brolin. <laughs> no, seriously, that's Josh Brolin. Yeah. I got super distracted and started watching those old drive-in movie ads for like half an hour. Oh um, yeah, the ones that are like, "Come try our fabulous popcorn." <laughs> that's what Ezra's been doing in his free time for months. <laughs> is so just good. watching old ads. They're so fun. Um, and also in 1958, we actually get the original The Fly. Um, and most people mm. know The Fly from the Cronenberg remake which we'll talk about later because that I think is with one of the Jeff codifiers Goldblum. for with Jeff Goldblum. Um, uh, it did a lot for the subgenre, um, but the original fly did a lot for the like science gone wrong trope of body horror uh, as well as these, as well as the scientific hubris trope that um, is not really explicit to body horror, but is hugely important to science fiction as a whole. That's like toying yeah. with science playing God science gone wrong from Frankenstein to like Jurassic Park. Right. And and when you mentioned before 
superhero movies being possibly another way to talk about transformation in film, that is something these two genres share in that they often speak of whatever society's like greatest fears are at the moment, of course, in horror, but in, mm. in superheroes, you have stuff like, uh, like nuclear radiation leading to Spider-Man, uh, things like that. And in this specific period, you have this scientific hubris idea leading to superheroes like the toxic Avenger and other superheroes that I definitely know because I'm very smart, <laughs> but you also have that happening in horror. Yeah, it's the Cold War. So um, not only it's Cold War, baby, Cold War and Red Scare. So Red Scare, we kind of get alien movies and then Cold War, we get uh, the fear of of um, science, complete nuclear <laughs> meltdown. Um, and so as with many things, body horror starts to get weird in the 1970s. Um, and I want to start by talking about Eraserhead, which came out in 1977, mm. uh, which is one of the earliest films that I can think of that resembles body horror as we know it today. Um, mm. So if you haven't seen Eraserhead, first of all, go watch it uh, if you're good with oh, yeah. weird and gross. Um, it is a film by David Lynch, uh, who is best known for Twin Peaks. Um, and side note, while I was researching this and tried to find a good example, I Googled, tried to Google Eraserhead body horror and Google suggested to me Eraserhead body pillow. So now I have to stop the podcast oh. so I can kick shame everybody. No, Y'all. you need to stop the podcast so you can put it in an Amazon order. Is what you need to do. <laughs> Y'all, we don't for need an Eraserhead body pillow. There's for those so many nights. <laughs> My question is, if you are getting an Eraserhead body pillow, are you getting yes. it of the guy or are you getting it of the abomination baby? It's got to be, I mean. The guy is kind of handsome, I guess. Yeah, but it would have to be like an anime version of the guy. <laughs> but the problem is it's a baby. Yes. The, like you the, can be a, what is a, teratophilia is like wa- liking means. liking monsters. Oh, Okay. Which, like, that's totally fine. Love your monsters. I mean, I'm in love with the Man in the Fields and Mothman, so that's fine. But, like, this is a baby, y'all. Okay, now that I'm Googling Eraserhead body pillow, body I, pillow? I yeah. think I found that there is, I guess, a character in an anime or an anime called... Uh, oh, you know what? There's a My Hero Academia character called Eraserhead. Yes. Okay, yes. never mind. Sensei I don't Aizawa. have to king shame any yep. of you. Okay, yep. <laughs> That makes sense. I should have known that. That makes me I'm feel a very better. Kind of that show. <laughs> Although I do like the universe. I want to go back to the universe where I believe that it was about the movie. Yeah, let's go back to that. Actually, <laughs> that was funny here. Um, so anyway, Eraserhead is an experimental film that tells the story of Henry Spencer, uh, a young man living in an unnamed industrial landscape, some kind of apocalypse Great. dystopia, whatever, yeah. uh, who finds out that he is the father of a hideous uh, mutant non-human baby, which he begins to care for. Uh, and this film famously had six years of production time. So I have some questions. Yeah. You're in an unnamed industrial landscape in the post-apocalypse. POV. POV. <laughs> POV. Are, how do you find this out? Does your long estranged ex-wife like show up at... You'll like, have to how forgive do you find me because out? I haven't seen it in a while but so he goes to dinner at his girlfriend's parents or girlfriends or something oh, so like society's still kind of going on so, no society's still going on they're not the only people oh okay okay, um, okay it's him and his girlfriend and they like serve a chicken but the chicken is the no, baby this is actually your baby oh i was joking okay that's <laughs> great okay this movie's now on my watch list yeah. love that uh, and the effects are pretty gnarly for the time like in the best way 
Um, when it came out, Variety called the finale of the film unwatchable, and National Review called it a gross out for cultists. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, it did become I, a cult classic. So, I thought Marriage Story was pretty good. I think these <laughs> reviews are a bit harsh. Um, and not only did it become a cult classic, but it popularized the midnight movie genre along with there was kind of a six sort of of these kind of tenant movies that. Yeah. Created the midnight movie, and it was this Rocky Horror, Night of the Living Dead, El Topo, Pink Flamingos, and The Harder They Come. Uh, these all hell yeah, sort of. Which also that sounds like an excellent movie night. All of these movies. to be a teen, to be a teen. Uh, if we could take everything else out of living, then I don't want the rest of it. <laughs> just but to just, see these movies, but just the midnight movie culture. Just yeah. that in a vacuum. I don't want anything else. Don't at me. Yeah, and again, absolutely a watch if you can handle weird and kind of gross. Um, and if you like experimental horror films, also a great watch. Um, and it's important for the genre because it established a part of film, especially horror film, where it was okay for disgust to be the main goal. Like, mm. it was fine to go out and say, like, my intention with making this movie is to yuck people out. That's cool. And we're going to yeah. do that now. Um, and of course, this was pretty shortly followed by Alien. Which came out in 1979. Speaking of loving, speaking of teratophilia, yeah, baby. <laughs> y'all. <laughs> no, um, I am y'all in this situation. <laughs> Give me that xenomorph, baby. Um, My this, sweet wife. This movie did so much for body horror. I mean, one scene in particular, we're all thinking about the chestburster scene. Of um, course. But also the reproductive cycle of the xenomorph as a whole is grosso. Yeah. Um, An incredible miracle of life. Also, there was Twitter discourse last week that horror can't be in space. You fools. The best horror is in space. Um, I don't know. But (laughs) I thought that that was a joke. No, somebody was like, hot take, horror can't be in space. No, I know that that was it. But when I first saw it at 6.30 a.m. at work, I was like, oh, they're making a joke because one of the best horror films of all time, Alien, the poster Mm -hmm. says, nobody can hear you scream in space. In space, nobody can hear you scream. I thought that was a joke. In space, there can be no horror. I thought that was like a no. big, a third level goof. It was just Y'all, somebody's terrible take. Come on. It's the space. best horror is in space. The um, best of any movie is in space. That's fair. Any yeah. movie. Name me a movie. Go. Wally. Well, that's in space already. Oh, Give name me a movie that's not in space. Any other movie. Willy yeah. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, come on. We already know. We go up in that space elevator at the end and we go up into space and there's a bigger, we're just kind of a little, the earth is a gobstopper in the cosmic Willy Wonka chocolate factory. Willy, Willy, oh, oh. You got milky, it. Milky, wait, Milky, no, Willy, Willy, Milky Way Wonka. There's something there. Yeah. Keep workshopping it. <laughs> it took so long and went nowhere. Um, so the xenomorph, uh, the way that it reproduces is incredibly upsetting just to think about. Uh, attaching itself to you and forcibly impregnating you uh, through your face and then uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera, burst out of your chest. Yeah. Every day is a bad time. And of course, the metaphor is not lost here. And this is an amazing example of body horror being political, which I totally yeah. think it can and should be. Um, oh, especially sure. in a time I, when we're talk talking so much about body autonomy. Right, right. Um, and using sci-fi body horror to talk about how body horror already exists in our world, just not in the way we think. 
um, and Alien in that way is incredibly ahead of its time and still holds up uh, in that regard. Oh, for sure. Um, and now we get to talk about the 1980s, uh, which was a golden age for slashers, a golden age for horror as a whole, and a golden age for body horror. Um, the 1980s were not a golden age for most things. Really a yeah. dark age for most things. Horror movies, though? Mm. Love them. I em. mean, we basically have two people to thank for this, or really three. John Carpenter, David, Cro- David Cronenberg, and Stuart Gordon just thank kings you. of yucking you out uh thank you for the thing thank you for all of these um uh but david cronenberg really kind of just electrocuted the genre into the forefront um he woke up and chose body horror yeah <laughs> woke up and chose vi but not violence um so one of his earlier lesser known works is called the brood which came out in 1979 and it kind of is a great introduction and a setup for what we're about to see from him specifically videodrome in 1983 that absolutely launches the body horror genre into the stratosphere um so videodrome haven't seen it watch it Mm -hmm. it's gross but watch it um, video drum stars James Woods as the CEO of a small UHF television station who stumbles across a broadcast signal featuring violence and torture. Uh, then there's these layers of like deception and mind control conspiracy unfold as he uncovers the source of the signal and he starts to lose touch with reality and these bizarre hallucinations where like he becomes technology, like somebody's chest becomes Hell a VCR yeah. player, the gun like grows out of his hand. Ugh. Hand, oh, gun, man. hand, gun, VCR, chest. <laughs> and also Debbie Harry's in this. Debbie Harry of Blondie. Oh, I'm in. Uh, it's so good. Uh, it's a perfect movie. Um, and I know a lot of people aren't into the whole Black Mirror, iPhone bad genre. And, yeah. And people think it's boring. Yeah, but this was in the 80s. Yeah, this was in the 80s. This was yeah, like, that's it, like one of the first ones. People are like, oh, Pink Floyd's the wall. It's so cookie cutter and boring. And it's like it. <laughs> It invented. It is the cookie it cutter. It invented the thing. It's it the is, cookie cutter. It is the cookie cutter, literally. <laughs> um, the special effects for this movie were done by Rick Baker, who is best known for winning the first Academy Award for makeup for Amer- an American Werewolf in London, uh, and has won the best makeup Oscar seven times. Um, Jesus. And all this, some for the rest of us. I Ricky. know. And all these special effects are practical, which is crazy for what you see at the time. Uh, uh, the most, one of the most iconic scenes. There's like two. One has to be the the VCR player in the stomach. That is disgusting. Uh, I read an on set story about this, where basically where James Woods had to be in that for like eight hours. Um, and at, by the end, he was so fed up with this. He was like, "I'm no longer an actor. I'm just like the holder of the <laughs> chest VCR." Like, <laughs> that's like uh, that's uh, just like in uh, Shape of Water with. Uh, with uh, Doug Jones just oh. being like in the fish man suit. <laughs> um, and uh, the other one kind of being the end, which I won't spoil for you. Um, God, the 80s were so great. Um, in the uh, regards for horror, not uh, as a whole, but yeah, in for nothing horror. else. Literally nothing else. <laughs> um, also, so we have to talk about the fly uh, of course in 1986. Which not the fly. Okay, here's the thing about the fly. I can handle mm. a lot in horror movies. I love Saw movies. I am so yeah. fine with torture porn movies. I'm good with insanely deep psychological horror. My favorite horror movie is Midsommar. That movie is gross. The Fly yucks me out so hard. It's insane. Like <laughs> This is the one. It's so gross. I mean, it's a per- perfect movie. But ugh, like the scene where he's like vomits on the dude's leg before he eats it because he's a fly. Blah. Yeah. 
Um, okay. <laughs> so this movie stars Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Of course it does, because it's perfect. Of course um, it does. And uh, like the 1958 film of the same name, it follows an eccentric scientist who slowly turns into a fly-like creature. Um, and this movie is disgusting. Uh, it has some god-tier makeup and special effects work by Chris Wallace and Stefan. I'm going to pronounce his last name. I want to say it's Dupuy. Okay, you do it. Dupuy? Yeah, Dupuy. Dupuy, maybe. I don't want to. I'm so sorry, Stefan slash Steven. I'm mispronouncing both of your names. Um, (laughs) But so these two gentlemen, uh, the makeup was designed to be in seven stages uh, as you see progress throughout the movie. So in stage one and two, you just start to see this like rash. Bargaining. (laughs) This just this very subtle rash, like skin discoloration that then goes into facial lesions and sores. Um, And then there are these tiny fly hairs on like Jeff Goldblum's face and then patches of fly hairs growing out of the wound on his back. Like this is just one and two gang. We're already starting off. Yeah. Like they really, they sat down and they were like, we want, they like had a big whiteboard and they just, they were going to have like a bunch of notes about the different things, but they ended up just writing yuck in big letters. (laughs) Um, so then stage three and four A, uh, these piecemeal prosthetics started to cover Jeff Goldblum's face and then later move on to his arms and feet and torso. Uh, they gave him these wigs that had bald spots so that his real hair was falling out and these crooked prosthetic teeth. Um, and then we also have a stage four B that was actually deleted from the film. I uh, was wow. only seen in one scene that was cut due to too strong of a reaction from audiences. Um, Release would- the four B cut. <laughs> it will require Jeff Goldblum to wear uh, a full body foam latex suit, uh, as at this point he, uh, Brundle, had stopped wearing clothing. Um, Hell yeah. And so stage five was another you full mean body in the suit. shooting, right? Jeff Goldblum had just, <laughs> just stopped wearing clothes at that point. It was very method of him. Um, in stage five, he got a second full body suit with more exaggerated deformities, which also required Jeff Goldblum to wear these distorting contact lenses that made one eye look bigger than the other. Um, okay. And then stage, stage six was the final, what they call Brundle fly. It's like his kind of, uh, final transformation <laughs> also referred to as space bug by the film's crew. Um, space bug. That should have been the name of the film. Yeah. <laughs> which was not actually Jeff Goldblum, but it was a uh, various partial and full body cable and rod controlled puppets. Oh, um, that's so kind cool. of an amalgamation of these things. And then stage seven was another puppet. Uh, after spoiler alert, watch the movie first. Spoiler alert: uh, He asked to be kind of put out of his misery, and Gina Davis shoots him. Um, yeah. But it represents this mortally. Oh, because at the end of the film, he tries to bring himself back to normal, but he accidentally trans like melds himself with the teleportation pod, so he yeah. becomes this mass of just Brundlefly and gears and tech and shoots him. but that was his final puppet uh initially dubbed the brundle booth and then later the brundle thing um and is seen that is the final form that you see him in in the in the film you should have stuck with brundle booth that is such a good name funny um Stuart Gordon's movies are also close behind uh Cronenberg's as far as golden era body horrors go there uh weren't as kind of prolific there these are more kind of cult films um, yeah. But in 1985, he blesses us with, I think, arguably, besides Midsommar, my favorite horror movie ever, Reanimator. Um, so Reanimator is based on the H.P. Lovecraft story of the same name and tells the story of Herbert West, a medical student who discovers how to reanimate dead bodies through this uh, 
thing that he injects them with called reagent. Um, and in the movie, it looks like glow stick fluid, which is fun. Um, that is very fun. This has some pretty nice body horror elements because the whole point of the reagent is that he injects it, the thing, the dead bodies with the reagent. And when they come back to life, like sometimes their eyes inflate and pop. And sometimes like they Ew. start like they have this blood and it, it's pretty gnarly. Um, and it actually got Hate an X it, rating. Respect it. it. It got an X rating oh. when it first came out. Um, it was changed uh, to an R rating for the VCR release. Um but, you know, there's a couple of butts. Just, in- just for that release. <laughs> there's a couple of butts like, in this movie, which kind of, I think, tips it over to the X rating. <laughs> that was the part. That was the yeah. part that really got him. They're um, sitting there and they were like, these horror elements are fine. That's fine. That's fine. Actually, PG-13 is fine. And then they saw one butt and they're like, yeah, there's, okay, there's- that's an R. And then they sell more butts and they're like, I'm so sorry, we can't. On set, there were 24 gallons of blood used throughout the production. Oh, my and, God. Um, People Which I know, like, it. Compared, yummy, yummy. <laughs> compared to now, that's not that much. Um, I think it part two currently holds the record for most gallons of blood used in a horror film. Um, but I mean, for a movie not where to say the same joke twice, but that's because Bill Hader loves <laughs> to drink up the it. stuff. Um, and for a movie without like a blood elevator or like a blood bath or pool scene or whatever, that's a lot of blood. Um, that is a lot of yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, funny story about the movie's X rating. Um, this is nothing to do with body horror. It's just funny. Um, it's just a fun fact. Uh, so they were trying really hard not to make the movie X rated so that it would get a proper theatrical release. They did not succeed, but they tried really hard. Um, and so they had these actors that were playing these reanimated dead bodies and they had to be fully nude. Um, but they were mostly shot from the waist had up. Had to be. Because they were in a morgue. Like, you're not no, going to put the, <laughs> um, so they shot them either from the waist up or from the back. So that there was no because there were really no female bodies, uh, only male bodies. And they were trying not to get any uh, any penises in the shot. Um, of course. But I cannot remember the name of the the cinematographer, but he is like German or, or Slovenian or some accent that okay. changes the W's into V's because there's gotcha. this great behind the scenes footage where this crew member is telling a story about how the cinematographer was standing behind the camera looking kind of dejected. And the guy uh, was walking over, walked over and was like, you good, man? What's going on? And the guy went, ah, it's the Venus. I got Venus bagging in my shot. <laughs> God bless you. It's the I love Venus. that so much. I got Venus bagging in my shot. <laughs> um, Anyway, nothing to do with body horror, but one of my favorite. Uh, but still fun. Yeah. Um, which kind of I want to bring us to talk about modern body horror. And there's a lot of films that I glossed over. So as per normal, we have barely scratched the surface of body horror films. I didn't talk about any of the street trash movies as a great body horror. Um, I talked about the thing way less than I should have. Um, of course. Um, but body horror as the main genre of a horror film has kind of fallen out of favor. People aren't as into it anymore, especially now with kind of the advent. I, I'm talking about like 2016 on. We've got very much into psychological horror. Like we got we went through a big paranormal right. horror phase. We've kind of moved on to psychological horror. So body horror, not as big anymore. Yeah, let's but bring it, it back. Still exists. Uh, we would be pretty remiss not to talk about the human centipede. Um, yeah. Now, if you can handle gross. If you can handle quite yucky, I yeah. actually recommend giving this movie a chance. It's kind of good. The human centipede is okay. Um, like it's totally the premise is totally brutal, but yeah, it's way. If, if you're okay, 
imagine how on a scale of one to 10, how gross you think the human centipede is. It's probably two to three, like the actual, what you see on screen is probably two to three numbers less than what you're thinking. Interesting. It's, and that's like, it was a kind of indie film, right? Like yeah, it, it was just did a not have a team big that budget. wanted to do it. I would also say that the second Human Centipede movie is an incredible piece of art. Maybe <laughs> not quality wise, but just in general because, and I'm, I'm very serious. This uh-huh. is the only thing I know about the film. I've watched parts of both, but not, I'm not, nope, not, no. Okay. Uh, in the second film, the plot is that the guy in-universe, sees the first Human Centipede film and thinks, I could do better than that. (laughs) And that's the plot. Yeah, basically. And the sequels are way, 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 way grosser than the first one. Um, But uh, Human Centipede does something interesting with body horror that we see more in kind of modern body horror where it's medical body horror. There is nothing supernatural or paranormal about what happens in this movie. It is all done by a person. Uh, We see that in Get Out, too, uh, with kind of like the brain transplants uh, and stuff. And that's kind of what we see in in modern body horror. Um, It's more, quote, realistic. Um, It stands in realism, even though it's not realistic, if that makes sense. Yeah, it also kind of feels like it, like is attempting to demystify body horror as a genre, mm-hmm. like in a genre that is, you know, again, kind of separated from man versus man, like it's meant yeah. to be thinking more uh, more metaphorically about the horror going on, on on screen is bringing it back to some grounded place that they probably think is more marketable, I guess. Yeah, that that makes more sense. And I think it's like it's an interesting new take because really you don't see a lot of that. I mean, the fly kind of falls into medical body horror, even though it's it's more so science fiction. Like I wouldn't call human centipede science fiction, even though technically it is. Um, Yeah. uh, yeah. I I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. I don't know what you would call it. Gross. (laughs) Yeah. Gross. Um, Gross is good. And actually, one of my favorite underrated uh, horror films, uh, Tusk, is a great example of this. If you haven't seen Tusk, I do recommend to watch. It's not that gross. It's gross, okay. but it's not that gross. Um, so Tusk okay. tells a story of a of <laughs> these two podcasters who go and try to go to Canada oh. to interview. <laughs> <laughs> to interview yeah to interview some guy well they try to interview a first guy and they find a new guy to interview and one oh, of them gets kidnapped one of them gets kidnapped by the scientist that slowly turns him into a walrus through surgery and sews him <clears throat> into this walrus pelt made out of human skin and he he severs okay. these this guy's legs and then uses his carved tibias to make the tusks cool. of the wear of the, the the walrus it's a black the comedy. werewolf it's a it's a it's a it's a dark comedy i promise it's funny it kind um, Kind of it it rings of like Swiss Army Man vibes. It's very the, similar. Like, gross, I think it's also an A twenty four movie. That, Don't quote no. me on that. <laughs> what is um, it these days? <laughs> that checks out. Um, but it's uh, it's. Do you know who wrote and directed it? I want uh, you to me. guess. It was me. To, <laughs> Kevin Smith. Good for him. Yeah. Kevin Smith Hell wrote yeah, and directed brother. it. That's sick. Um, yeah, I do recommend giving Tusk a watch if you like body horror. Um, it's actually kind of funny and I like it a lot. Um, but that kind of brings us to uh, to the end. And again, there's a lot of movies I didn't discuss. Um, but body horror is an interesting genre that I think 
horror, we kind of cycle through the phases of horror that we enjoy. Um, I think I think body horror yeah. is due for another cycle. Let's go. Let's do it again. Yeah, especially with modern uh, special effects tech, like we could do something crazy. Yeah. What's the What's the like one horror film that you think could have been body horror, but like but specifically supernatural type? Um, because I have one. I was thinking The Witch, but I also wouldn't Ooh, want to okay. ruin The Witch by like making yeah. it not subtle. But I'll I'll stick with The Witch or maybe Get. I think Get Out could have had more element. Not that the Get Out isn't yeah. a perfect movie because it is, but I think it would be That's interesting fair. to see it with more body horror elements. The the point you bring out about like subtlety is interesting because mine would be Jennifer's Body, mm. but it does. If you were to do that, it would kind of take away some of the like nuance yeah. of of the story. But like, come on. <laughs> it would be cool. That'd be sick. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode 58 of The Great American Scream. If you enjoyed, please leave a rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. But the best way to spread the word about the show is to tell a friend. I'll be checking all of your planners to make sure that your parents checked them and saw that your homework was to tell one friend. <laughs> and if you don't do it, then I'll be very angry with you. Uh, but not really, because I'm really kind of too soft, and you guys all know it, and you kind of play me like a fiddle, and the principal keeps yelling at me about it. But, like, let's keep it between us. Uh, <laughs> we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash greatscreenpod. You can get episodes a day early. You can vote in our Patreon-exclusive polls, and you can uh, have special access to behind-the-scenes content and a community of people who are talking about the show Adam, can you pimp our social medias? Uh, yes, you can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or much more frequently on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Um, please uh, send us your favorite body horror movies. Um, I need to watch more. Uh, and you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there is something you'd like to hear about uh, on the show, tweet it at us or let us know because your suggestion may become a topic for a future episode. Yes, a special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo for doing the disclaimer at the start of the show, as well as Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. And a super special thank you to all of our patrons at the $10 a month level or higher. Thank you to Regina, Ben, Bree, Gail, Joyce, Melinda, and Chris. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. Oh and no, keep I'm turning those into a walrus. Hey, hey, put those organs oh, my back. My organs. Put those back. Uh, put them back. Oh, uh, but back they're where turning they came into from. walrus so organs. Okay. Put it back. <laughs> oh, I'm doing. <laughs>